the Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. And thanks for tuning in to Leaders Playbook, where you'll discover what emotional intelligence is all about and how to raise yours to be a top performer in business. Now, here's your host, Dr. Rell. Good morning. This is Dr. Relly Nadler, Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Here we want to focus on giving you hands-on tools to raise your emotional intelligence for you and for the people that you work with. Today we're going to be focusing on the competency of leadership. How can a leader better position themselves as a leader? How can leaders communicate a compelling vision? How do they transfer their enthusiasm and uh, into commitment and to action of their followers? What are the best practices to improve leadership? As a leader, how do you hold others accountable? And uh, as a leader, how do you keep the workforce more engaged? The answers to these questions are the focus uh, of this session. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler, a psychologist and executive coach, and today for the Star Secret section, we're going to have Kevin Eikenberry, the author of Remarkable Leadership. Kevin is a consultant, he's a speaker, he's a trainer, a coach who's worked with Fortune 500 companies such as Chevron Phillips, Southwest Airlines, U.S. uh, Marine Corps. He's a best-selling author and a contributor to 13 training and development source books and he has a popular weekly uh, newsletter with hands-on tools. So I'm going to be very excited. We'll bring him on in a little bit to give us some specific tools around uh, a leader and how does a leader position themselves as a leader, how do they develop and communicate a compelling vision. Given the show is all about uh, emotional intelligence and, and what are the hands-on skills, I just want to review some of the key uh, concepts that we have here. So to be a star, we've defined that as someone in the top 10%. And emotional intelligence, we've defined as understanding and managing yourself, understanding and managing others. Uh, emotions are contagious, and the leader is the emotional thermostat for their team. So they really set the temperature or set the climate for the team. And we know that leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue to the organizations as leaders and managers in the 11th through the 89th percentile. And our focus on this show is to give you micro-initiatives, small things that you could do that can lead to macro-impact. We've also talked about um, the amygdala hijack, some of the brain um, focus that we know, the neuroscience. Do you get hijacked and how does that affect your leadership? We are wired to connect. We talked about the mirror neuron and how to develop empathy. And then there's been a series of tools on the Leaders Playbook site that you can download to help you uh, raise your emotional intelligence and raise your leadership. So today in particular, of all the competencies, we're going to be talking about inspirational leadership. I know when I work with executives, that word inspirational is very challenging for many of them. They say, well, I, you know, I know what I do, I'm doing, but how do I become inspirational? And inspiring leaders inspire others to work together towards common goals. They are able to articulate and arouse enthusiasm for shared vision and mission. Star leaders, they also hold the accountability um, for their people. They display a high level of positive energy and that spreads throughout the organization. 
So one of the things, and we'll check in with Kevin when he's on the line, that I've noticed is that every leader that I've worked with has underestimated their influence over the team. So let me repeat that. Every leader that I've worked with has underestimated their influence over the team. When I give talks uh, and I ask people to raise their hand or shake their head, most people agree that every leader has underestimated their influence over others. If that is the case, every leader has underperformed and every team has underperformed. So why is that? Most of the time the leader is focusing on their task, their job, um, and they miss some of these moments that they can have influence over their people, some of these magic moments of exercising some of these emotional intelligence tools. And why the leaders uh, underestimate their influence, they're under the spotlight 24-7. And I think many times they don't realize, being a leader, that they're under the spotlight. One executive I work with, a CEO of a company, said, people said to him, you don't realize the power of this corner office. And I think that's true for most for most leaders. So they don't realize that they're under the spotlight 24-7. Everything they do gets read into. Everything they they don't do gets read into. Everything they say gets read into. Everything they don't say gets read into. It's the spotlight. And if you can picture that spotlight following them around wherever they go, everything gets accentuated. And I found that many leaders um, have what I would call spotlight errors. And they don't realize that, that not only are they under the spotlight, but they have a spotlight, meaning that what they shed their light on, what they focus on, what they talk about is magnified because they're under the spotlight. So a couple of the errors. One, people don't realize that they have a spotlight, and they don't realize that it's on all the time. I worked with an executive who was very collegial with her, her people and did not realize that the spotlight was on and that uh, would go out for drinks and started bashing her executives. Even though she was with them, it was after hours, the spotlight was still on. She was a leader. So she didn't realize the spotlight was on. Many leaders use it in an undisciplined way. They try to focus on too many things. Third error is they have a spotlight, but what are they focusing on? All the negative things, not the positive things. And the fourth error is that as a leader, they know they have a spotlight um, and they focus on strengths, but they're not focusing on strengths enough. One of the things uh, that we want to talk about is what is it that allows someone to be an inspirational leader? An average leader uses formal authority and they stimulate enthusiasm. Now, a star leader does both of those, but they also position themselves as a leader, not just every once in a while, 80% of the time, and they communicate a compelling vision. We'll check in with Kevin Eikenberry about kind of his thoughts in a couple minutes about that. How do they communicate a compelling vision? And what I want to do is just give you an example first of an average leader in leadership. This was a CEO of a manufacturing firm who was very introverted. I... And when I went there, I asked him to show me around. And as we were walking down the hallway, he wasn't saying anything. And, you know, it was somewhat uncomfortable for me. But I uh, was wondering if, if he's that way when he's with his direct reports. He just had to be introverted and didn't say anything. And he basically said, yeah, you know, we walked down the hall. Um, 
because he's under the spotlight, because he wasn't saying anything, it was, it's very uncomfortable for most people. People could read into him not talking. He doesn't like me. He's upset with me. He knows I'm late on this project. Consequence for this leader was he'd walk past people. He would not relate to them. They thought he was uh, unaccessible, judgmental, angry. They, he was misinterpreted constantly. A micro-initiative for him then was talking to him about when he's walking with people, he should start up a conversation. He should talk about what their needs are, ask how they're doing, any problems that he can help with. He should ask about their family. He should follow up on these things. These would be micro-initiatives, five to ten minutes or so. But let me give you an example of a star. <clears throat> this uh, star leader is named Myron Jones. He's the president of NMB Technologies Corporation. He's a pro at using his spotlight. He talks about having touches with people. He's always connecting with people. He has nicknames for people. He knows about their families. He makes sure he goes to some of his employees' kids' uh, sports games. When he needs to take a break, he regularly leaves the office to make touches with people, and he shines his light. He takes those micro-initiatives. I was walking with him uh, to lunch, and he walked past the uh, security guard, and he stopped and said to the security guard, Hey, you want me to bring you back a soda when I come back? You know, think about that. Here's the president of the organization uh, stopping. Probably was uh, a minute there. You know, what was the effect on the security guard? What was the effect on the organization? Well, the consequence are the people in his organization would do anything for him and his company. People love working there. They're very committed. They have a very solid climate. Um, that helps them get through tough times. They have uh, improvement task force and uh, grassroots suggestions, and now this organization, they only uh, work to 12 on Fridays, You know, and this is because he values his people and is able to shed this spotlight. So today we're going to talk about what are the actual behaviors a leader can do, kind of like I'm mentioning here, in a new... Uh, research report um, from the Towers Perrin Group. They studied um, about 90,000 workers from one piece and 2 million employee records. And this recently just came out, and they found that employees need their senior leaders to demonstrate inspiration, vision, and commitment. But only 38% of employees surveyed felt that their senior management communicated openly and honestly and just 44% agreed that their senior management uh, tries to be visible and accessible. In addition, only 10% of employees agree that the senior management treats us as if we're the most important part of the organization. So there's many competencies of a leader, and this one especially you know, around leadership um, is important. And so when we come back, we're going to go to the break now, but when we come back, what we're going to do is talk with Kevin Eikenberry about what are some of the specific tools that he uses with leaders to in inspire their vision and to help them uh, connect with the people. So we'll be right back. in business. 
Business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcasts live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. Hi. My name is Joanne, and I have mannequinism. Well, I did have it, but I'm not a mannequin anymore. Doctors said over 75% of my body turned into plastic. They said it's because I wasn't active in my community, because I didn't vote or volunteer or I don't know. All I wanted to do was cry, but I couldn't because I had plastic eyes. Protect yourself from mannequinism. Log on to fightmannequinism.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. This is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance, giving you hands-on tools to raise your emotional intelligence. Today's guest, is Kevin Eikenberry. He's the author of The Remarkable Leadership. Kevin is a consultant. He's a speaker, trainer, and coach who's worked with Fortune 500 companies, such as Chevron Phillips, Southwest Airlines, uh, the U.S. Marine Corps. He's a best-selling author, a contributor to 13 training and development uh, source books, and has a popular weekly leadership newsletter with hands-on tools. Kevin, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be with you this afternoon, or today, I should say, <laughs> depending <laughs> yes. on where you are in the depending world. Depending on where you're at. Well, thank you. You know, why don't you give us a, a little bit of background. It sounds like you've been doing um, leadership development, leadership training for the last 20 years. Just about your, your interest. How did you come to this around leadership? And then we'll get more specific. Well, I think that um, the nature of our work certainly includes leadership, and it's become, a, it's become a big focus, I think, largely for two reasons. One is that uh, over time we've looked to figure out ways that we can have bigger impact help our clients more broadly and one of the biggest levers that that's out there for a, for any organization to get more effective is through uh, stronger more effective leadership skills so uh, we've sort of gravitated to it in that regard and i think secondly one of my one of the things that uh, leads me to do the work that i do really is that i uh, <clears throat> i find that it's in the areas where we, when we can improve ourselves both 
and in a professional and a personal way at the same time that it makes us that is what really interests me I suppose so the way I like to think about leadership is that we become a better leader when we become a better leader we become a better human hmm. and when we become a better human we become a better leader so uh, I like to think of leadership skills that big vast um, uh, set of leadership skills as being skills that we can use in all parts of our lives mm-hmm. and then from the organizational perspective as I said before leadership is that great lever to greater organizational performance yeah I think one of the things that we talked about earlier in the show um, just the influence that, that leaders have so it's great to hear that and so what I, what I um, am struck with is just how similar uh, what you're doing is, is what I'm doing in our organization and we're focused on these emotional intelligence Competencies, but what I really looked at what's coming up in your um, remarkable leadership. Uh, many of the, co- the competencies map very, very well. Learn continually, champion change, communicate powerfully, build relationships, develop others, focus on customers, influence with impact, think and act innovatively, value collaboration, teamwork, solve problems, take responsibilities, manage projects, set goals. So probably two thirds of those are all the same things that uh, we've been talking about on this show. And uh, how did you come up with those competencies, and you know, how did you kind of create that model? Well, we built the competencies over uh, all of the time that uh, I've been in business. I've, those competencies come from my study. They come from my observation. They come from a lot of the work we've done with clients in terms of what are those areas that, that people either are, are very successful at or could be more successful at. And so it's really a list that developed over time and, um, and really comes Again, not only from study, but but really largely from observation and study of clients and of situations and uh, of how uh, what are the things that make for for more successful, remarkable leaders. Okay, that's great. Um, and and looking at these, you know, I know the one that, like I mentioned earlier, um, when I deal with executives, you know, sometimes they may come up through engineering, they come up through different ways. So this idea of being compelling vision, um, you know, and that a vision is important in a lot of the things that we're talking about specifically for this conference around leadership. Um, how do you work with them around a compelling vision? Or if someone inherently isn't inspiring, like what are there specific tools or ways that you kind of can help bring that out with them? Yeah, I think there definitely are. So the first thing, I think it's important to recognize that vision is absolutely critical because if we're a leader because people are following us, not because of a job title, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, if people are, if we're a leader, that means people are following us, and that means that we're going somewhere. And, and, that, and a vision is that hopefully is the somewhere that we're going. So a vision is absolutely critical. So let's, let me talk about what I think it takes yeah. to create that compelling, compelling vision and, and you said, or to be inspiring. I think there's in some ways they're the same. So let me just talk about the vision piece and we can come back to any additional stuff on inspiration if we need to. Um, I think the number one thing that we need to do as leaders, and it, it really ties to what you were talking about in the opening segment of the show, is that leaders have to be authentic. They have to be sincere and transparent and genuine so that people understand their intent, know where they're coming from, where they're going to, so that even if we don't agree with everything the leader's doing, we at least understand the whys and we understand and we see that there's a, gen- there's a genuine person uh, there. So I think that's an, an incredibly important starting point okay. to inspiration and the vision, to communicating the vision is to be authentic and say this is really what I believe. This is really where I'm where I'm headed, where I think we should be heading. So the best leaders recognize that that vision is only compelling when it's seen from the 
from the perspective of the other person, uh-huh. not from their own. So the first mistake that some leaders make is they, they paint the picture of the vision from their own perspective, which is never going to be very compelling. It might be interesting. It might be engaging for a while. But in the end, as followers, we must see how we fit in. We must see the benefit of it from our perspective. It must be our vision. And so the best leaders create a compelling vision by making it, by helping us make that vision our own and see it from our own perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an absolutely critical component. So uh, four things. Uh, beyond making it theirs from the leader's perspective, we must make it theirs. The next thing is that compelling vision must be something that's truly desirable to the other person. There must be value in it, um, both in terms from the self-interest of the other party, but also in the greater good sort of scenario. The, the more of those things we have, the more successful and more compelling that vision will be. Mm-hmm. The third thing is that that vision must be real. We must be able to really see it. We must be able to make it clear and specific and, again, from the perspective of the other person. And then lastly, that vision needs to be seen as being reachable. So really, if my if my goal, if my compelling vision for my brand new, if I had a brand new company with zero dollars in sales, if my vision was uh, included a component of uh, next year we'll make a billion dollars, that might not be real to go from zero to a billion in one year. So the the vision uh, to be compelling needs several factors. It needs to, number one, be theirs. It must be real and specific. It must be truly something that's desired. And lastly, it needs to be something that's reachable. We believe we can actually get there at some, some point in the future. So all those things together will help to you to craft a vision that will be truly compelling, not for you, right. but for those you're leading. That's great. Um, and I like how you broke that down and make it theirs, desirable, make it real, and make it reachable. And I think this this idea of uh, inspiring is kind of, you know, putting in life. Um, and, I, and I hear what you're saying, Kevin, is how do you hear what what is important to them? What, you know, where, where are they living? You know, where are they breathing? And how do you bring that piece out? Absolutely. I mean, it has to be, you know, uh, sometimes people talk about me being motivational. I say that I can't motivate anyone else. It's not possible. What I right. can do is inspire them to create that own fire so that they can make, so they can make a new choice and be motivated yeah. in some direction. So I think our focus has to be on inspiring. And I think that same list of four characteristics that we talked about for a compelling vision can, um, can be the same things we would consider uh-huh. to think about in terms of being more inspiring. It's gotta be other focused. And I think um, the, the idea of, of of being passionate. Many times we hear that word, you know, along with being inspiring. And so I think your idea of the uh, being authentic. We had someone on uh, a couple weeks ago talking about the brain, and it was a good way for me to look at this differently. He was talking about you know these mirror neurons. It's the part of that people pick up as the empathy. And so the more authentic and passionate somebody is themselves there's a part of the brain that's just picking that up, and they become uh, passionate and um, full of, of inspiration. Absolutely. Because you, because you said something earlier, which I really liked, when that is that the leader is the emotional thermostat, right, right. Uh, for, the, for the group, for the team, for the organization. And I think that's completely, um, completely related to this idea of being inspiring. Uh, so let's say when you're working with some of these top executives individually, um, what are some of the strategies that maybe to get in touch with that for themselves? Do, uh, do, and do you do some of that, I imagine? And do you also then 
have them practice? Let's hear what you're going to say to your folks. We, we do that sometimes. I think the big thing to help them get in touch with the genuine uh, components or being authentic is to is to start start with values. What are the things that hmm. that you value? How do they connect to the organizational values? And then how do we map that for other people? So I think starting with from the perspective of values and considering intent. Why 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 are you, Mister or Miss Leader, really trying to create? head to this goal, right, to, to achieve this vision. What's the intent for you? What's underneath that for you? And once we understand that, right, then we're in a much better position to communicate that successfully to others. Uh-huh. Okay, that's great. And so I think once that person does realize that, it's easily conveyed because the same way, the way the brain works, we pick it up if someone's just gone through the motions and they're not really kind of believing what they're saying. Absolutely. Um, so you work with the leader and then their values individually and then kind of tag or align those values to what they're trying to accomplish in the organization? Well, we typically help th- help them make those connections. I uh-huh. mean, rather than sort of saying, oh, here's the connection. Yeah, yeah. Really help them to, to discover what those connections are. And really, typically, it's just a matter of helping them realize the importance of and therefore, in some cases, as you said, practice to communicate from the heart, to communicate from those values, to communicate in a way that will really be meaningful to others. And depending on people's personality, uh, communication style, and their past professional experience, sometimes this is a bigger challenge for people than others. Not that they can't do it, right. but that they may not realize or value the importance of that sort of thing. So it's important to help people do that. The way in which people communicate is going to be quite different. Uh-huh. And so it's not about trying to get them to communicate like someone else would, yeah. but rather to truly be authentic and just speak for who they are in relationship to this vision, in relationship to what they're trying to accomplish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I know um, the example I gave of, of uh, Myron Jones, who's the president of this company, and I've worked with him for a while. He's always trying to come up with stories and, and, and metaphors. And I imagine in some of your work, you know, for someone who may not have that as their predilection of the background, are, are you trying to help them in some way with the values, but then also on how do they picture that? You know, and how Absolutely. Do they... How do you describe it in a way that will yeah. engage people, that will help people remember it, first of all? And so stories are a very powerful metaphor. is an extraordinarily powerful way to do that. And if people don't naturally know that or haven't practiced yeah. that or learned that in the past, that can be a very powerful thing that they can, they can help any leader be more successful, any communicator be more successful. Mm-hmm. And I know just on this show and I work with folks trying to come up with those things like the emotional thermostat or the spotlight. You know, they're just visuals that uh, they may not remember the words, but they're going to remember the, the visuals. Absolutely. You know, the other one, why this one, and I'm glad that you're able to, to speak about this, uh, um, is a little bit more as far as the EI competencies, a little bit more nebulous. You know, one, we talk about compelling vision. I think that's clear. But the idea of how does someone position themselves as a leader? You know, they have the position, but... You know, are there, when you think about that, are there some things that pop up? How would someone position themselves as a leader? Well, I think the first and most important thing is we have to recognize that we are one, regardless of our job title. So we can't position ourselves there until we see ourselves there, until we believe ourselves there, uh-huh. and then we can begin to position ourselves there. So I think those are the most important things. And then I think some of the things that you talked about earlier in terms of recognizing the power we have based on position is really important. I don't think a lot of people recognize that or in the subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways that we have impact in the organization simply because of who we are, what we do, our behaviors, what we say, and that sort of thing. Uh Okay, good. Um, 
So we got some more questions to ask Kevin Eikenberry here, the author uh, of Remarkable Leadership. Uh, Remarkable Leadership. And uh, we'll be right back after the break. Thank you. in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Before every word there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Hey, how you doing? Educational videos, top quality, right here. You'll never hear anyone selling education on the street. But with free family learning programs, you can get the education you need. Call 1-877-FAMLIT-1 for information on free learning programs. 1-877-FAMLIT-1. Check it out, check it out. Your GED right here, guaranteed, ma. Come on, check it out. Free family learning programs from the National Center for Family Literacy. Brought to you by the National Center for Family Literacy and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. Hi, this is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance, giving you hands-on emotional intelligence tools. Today we're talking with Kevin Eikenberry. He has a new book coming out, Remarkable Leadership. And we've been talking about the specific competency around uh, leadership and inspiring vision and and uh, we're talking about how do leaders position themselves. Um, so I know one of your competencies um, in your book, Kevin, is influencing with impact. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about that, but maybe you know there's some more that around kind of that specific one, influence with impact. Are there some tips that you give the leaders you're dealing with? Well, there's 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 a lot of things that we could talk about there. I think that there's a couple of big keys to influence with impact, and one of them we already talked about, and that's values that we influence from our own value set. And and if those are in um, in alignment, if they're in concert with the organizational values, um, and if we can help people see that, um, 
in the organization that's going to be of great value. So when I think of some great leaders, uh, you know, some people that had, from a values perspective, you know, you can think of people like um, Billy Graham or Walt Disney or Martin Luther King Jr. or uh, Abraham Lincoln or Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, lots of people that we could associate, whether we agree with their values or are in a tune with their values or not, we can see from what we know about them. In fact, I would even include Adolf Hitler in this regard. Although you might personally find his values to be um, quite different from your own, it's hard to argue with the fact that part of his right. leadership strength came from very clearly describing what his values are and then acting from them. And so for any of the people on that list that I described, I think it's easy to see as examples that uh, uh, our values play an important part in our ability uh, in our ability to influence with impact. Um, we can talk a lot about, uh, in, the, in the book I talk about building credibility and the importance of that. And uh, a colleague of mine, Kevin Hogan, uh, who's written a number of great books, including The Science of Influence, says that credibility is expertise plus trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, you know, a lot of times people have been promoted maybe multiple times in leadership roles based on their expertise or based on their technical competence in the in the company or in their particular professional practice area. Uh, and so from a from an influence perspective, I think what we need to add to expertise is we need to add trustworthiness. In other words, if I trust someone and I know that they know what they're talking about, their credibility goes up very rapidly, right? And so it's that combination of things that I think can have a big impact on our influence. And so we have to think about our our expertise. We have to recognize it ourselves. We have to recognize the power of it and the importance of it. Back to your point earlier, in terms of people are watching us, we're in the spotlight right. 24-7. And so I think those are a couple things. And then, and then another big part of influence is our attitude. I think our attitude is absolutely critical in terms of influence because as you said, whatever we're putting out there from an attitude perspective is what's going to be happening in our organization. So if we want to have uh, have impact uh impact be impactful in our influence, hopefully we're impacting in with the right sorts of behaviors through the right sorts of attitudes. So I think that that our attitude plays an important role. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing that we talk about in the book is uh, that influence comes from being other-focused. And I quote Zig Ziglar, my uh, colleague and and, uh, and and wonderful speaker and author, who says, maybe it's probably his most famous line ever, when he says, you can get anything in your life that you want if you help enough other people get mm-hmm. what they want. Mm-hmm. So it's a profound truth that says that it's we influence others directly based on our ability to be focused on them first. Right, right. Yeah, I think I, I hear that echoing in my head because I've heard those and he's said it so many different times on there. But I think that's that, uh, in the influence uh, world, that law of reciprocity. Absolutely. So when you give to someone, there's that natural way of giving to others. Uh, and I think as a good leader, sometimes they call that discretionary effort. You know, am I going to go above and beyond for my leader uh, it's discretion. I could, and then I could not. And I think that idea that you're saying about really giving to them and being trustworthy that people are going to do that. Well, I think the key to that is, again, this key to it is being other-focused, is that if, we're, if, we, if we sort of believe in reciprocity but we're doing it for that purpose, right. then it becomes manipulative, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to do this because then in the end, hopefully they'll do something for me. Um, and so... 
but when we think about it that way, when we're when we are thinking about it that way, trust me, most of the time it comes across in our, in our intent shows through. So the law of reciprocity is is an absolute law in my opinion, and and yet it works best when the intent is not sure. I mean, we may know that that's going to come, but that's not why we're doing it. Right. Yeah, it's that, that genuineness, and I think that trustworthiness that you talked about, you know, that is going to, in the configuration of emotional intelligence, that is one of those trustworthiness <clears throat> that's there. We may have someone, you know, speak about that, but I think one of the behaviors is publicly admitting mistakes, kind of looking at what does someone regularly do, and that's one of them when they've tried to deconstruct that, is regularly uh, admitting mistakes, which I think for many leaders, going back to position themselves as a leader, they kind of think, well, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm the leader. I'm the boss. Or even, I don't think I should do that because if I'm supposed to be the yeah. leader, I should be. I shouldn't be making mistakes. I should know what I'm doing. And I think that sometimes people put put undue pressure on themselves yeah. in that regard. Number one, and then number two, they make the wrong assumption because the right assumption is to be open and transparent and say, "Guess what? I made a mistake." Because think about it this way: as a leader. Um, if we will share our mistakes, then chances are others are more likely to do that. And if that happens, then we're creating the opportunity for learning across the organization. Because one of the great problems with mistakes is that if we hide them, they're most likely going to get repeated. Right, right. Well, I think that goes along with creating an environment um, that I know one of the competencies, you know, one of your top ones that you talk about is learning continually, and that kind of goes with this trustworthiness and, and being being vulnerable you know, in front of the people that you're leading. Absolutely. Well, that's important. Um, and then from an accountability standpoint, <clears throat> let's say someone's new to a, le- to a leader, you know, we can they can almost have their checklist of what do they need to do. They have to have a vision. They have to inspire people. They have to communicate it in a way. They have to make sure it's heard. They have to get people's opinion. But I think this accountability, if I, in organizations I've worked with, I'd be interested to see what you uh come up with it. The two things that are common in every organization, regardless of who it is, is a lack of accountability, that's that's an issue, and then there's always communication. If I you know, if I could go into any organization, I know those two will always be issues. So from well first, would you agree with that? And then maybe we'll talk about the accountability. Well there's certainly those are certainly two of the things that almost always come up in an organization. Yep. For sure. I would agree with your assessment. Okay. And then so um, accountability which is one of the things a leader needs to do, and you have that broken out as one of your competencies, take responsibility and, and accountability. So what can a leader do, um, especially if they're new to this, to have their people uh, be accountable and take responsibility? Well, one of the things that I find in organizations is that, every, as you said, everyone always says, well, we need to have people be more accountable around here. We need to have higher levels of accountability here. But every time people are doing that, they're, even when they're saying that, they're contributing to the problem. Because when people are saying that, in my experience, they, they typically mean someone else needs to be accountable. Uh-huh. It's not me that's a problem, it's somebody else. Right. Well, in and of itself, there's the start of the problem. Uh-huh. Because the better way for a leader to increase accountability in their organization, number one, is to personally be accountable. Be a model of that, number one. And then number two, rather than saying, I wonder why they aren't, because every time we ask a they question, we're asking the the, the 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 victim question, which is the opposite of accountability. So to me, the, the question always needs to be for us as a leader is, what can I do to be more accountable, number one? And then secondly, what can I do to influence others around accountability? 
And so, you know, in so many organizations, people talk about it, but no one ever really is accountable. So it's it's like anything else that's that uh, we don't practice normal regularly. We have to work at it to get better at it. We have to practice it. It's mm-hmm. not going to be able to flip the light switch and say tomorrow, okay, everyone's accountable. We can say that, but it's going to take a while for habits to change. So the the single best thing that we can do to 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 increase accountability is to be accountable ourselves. The next thing that we the next most important thing is that we need to recognize that accountability is a choice that everyone has to make. And then how do we go about helping people make the make that accountable choice? And, and that accountable choice is all about how often am I asking the I question as opposed to the they question. The, you know, the accountable question is what did I do? What can I do? What's in my control? What influence could I have? What impact could I have? How could I mm. have done better? Okay. And so as a leader, we have to ask those questions, and then we have to encourage others to ask right. those questions themselves. Okay, that's great. You just kind of brought up a, a woman I'm working with um, who's a director and yeah, in the coaching, but also she's doing this with her boss. She's constantly saying, what can I do to improve? Is there something else that I could be doing? I mean, she's, it is interesting because I think for me and I imagine for her boss, not a lot comes up, and but it maybe goes back to your focus on learning. Because she's asked that question a lot, she's improved a lot. And so even when I say, well, I'm, yeah, I think you're doing fine. I can't really think of uh, things. But it is interesting because she keeps pushing that. What else could I be doing? What kind of feedback do you want to give me? Because all because that's in my control. That's in her control. That's right. in our control. Right. Is to ask the question, what can I do? What's in my sphere of influence? What? How can I impact yeah. the situation? How can I make things better? And the more we ask that question, pretty soon others are going to start hearing it as well. And and you and, and the first step to this is to model it. Don't immediately say, "Well, I need to make others more accountable." Start with yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, do you find uh, in here we're calling stars, you know, people in the top ten percent? But is that pretty common? And you know, and the folks that you're working with who are really successful, that that they are asking those questions a lot. What can I do? How can I improve? I think those are those are really important questions. You know, my belief is that uh, if you talk about the 13 competencies in remarkable leadership, my belief is that all of us have some of every one of those, and, so, and we were born with some predisposition right. to all those. But that unique bundle that makes us who we are um, is critical. So to say that it would be impossible, I, I would say that it would be nearly impossible if you had zero accountability yeah. to be a successful leader. Right. But does it have to be at the 90th percentile? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But but it, it is one of those things that if it's not your strength, that it is uh, an important one to work on from a modeling perspective. Right. And to the other point is those, those questions of accountability are also the questions of great learning. Okay, good. Um, we're talking with Kevin Eikenberry here, the author of Remarkable Leadership. When we come back from the break, I'm going to ask him, just about, let's say, when someone's not accountable. We talked about you know, owning it yourself. But how do you deal with someone, which is kind of reality, some of the people you're working with are not accountable? This is Leader's Playbook, and we'll be right back. Line in business. Voice America business. 
Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. that bedtime song rockabye baby by newton's treetop his first law of motion make sure you won't stop the same rules of physics apply to a ball while gravity is a force that makes things fall by the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. Hi, this is Leaders Playbook. We're back. Tools for top performance, giving you hands-on tools to raise your emotional intelligence for yourself and for the folks that, that you work with. We're talking with Kevin Eikenberry, and who just uh, is coming out with remarkable uh, leadership, and we're talking about accountability um first kevin when is the book out or the book's been out for a couple of months okay um, so people can get it there they may well be able to get it at their local bookstore uh they can certainly go to amazon their favorite online retailer or they can go to remarkableleadershipbook.com and if they go to remarkableleadershipbook.com they can get a sample chapter so read some excerpts and and learn and read my read my blog related to the book and uh and generally, you know all that they can know until they buy the copy. Yeah, that's good. That's great to get them going. Okay, so we we ended the last segment <clears throat> talking about accountability and, and, and leaders taking ownership. So the scenario that you have a direct report who is not uh, being accountable, and you've modeled, you've done the, kind of the front side, if we say that, you know, being the model. But uh, any thoughts, tips, you know, when one of your people that you're Leading is not being accountable. What are, are there some better ways to have that conversation with them? Well, I think the first, uh, the most important thing to recognize is that in the end, 
people are going to make a choice to be accountable or not. And so, and the second thing is to recognize what I believe the opposite of accountability is. And the opposite of accountability to me is blame and being a victim. And so when we see people doing those things, uh, when we see people acting in those ways, when we see people pointing their finger at others, um, the only way that I believe we can get people past that is by asking them a different set of questions. So, I mean, if people are asking, if people are blaming, if people are, are, are seeming to be a victim, if they're, if they're working from a perspective of they did this to me or, you know, I'd have been, I'd have gotten this done if, except for the IT department or I'd have gotten this done if, if HR would get their act together or it's the home office's fault or, you know, you know, whatever those things look like. Mm-hmm. That's often what we see when we talk about people being not accountable. Right. And so the challenge for any of us, uh, the challenge for any of us is to do this, is to ask, is to ask the accountable question. So what's in your control? What could you have done? Clearly that isn't, it isn't the way you wanted it to go, but what could you have done differently? So as a leader, to ask those questions back to people, to get them to, to see the world differently and hopefully get them to make a different choice. But in the end, we have to recognize that we can't make them be accountable. I mean, we may be able to change uh, their work production, but we can't make them make them accountable. Only we can hold ourselves accountable. And so our opportunity, and it goes back to influence, really is to ask the questions that lead people to make a different choice. So to get them to um, see what's going on, and it is or anything, so... Kind of a, you know, Stephen Covey talks about the circle of influence and it sounds like that's an influence for you too that you'd be saying, is there something else you could have done here and, and try to get some of that ownership into action? Exactly. A classic situation would be you think of a little kid coming, running in the house and saying, you know, Johnny hit me. And as a parent or as an adult, we usually realize that it's not, Johnny didn't just hit for no reason. Right. There's usually somebody else. <laughs> Typically right. this other person had something to do. And the natural things we start to ask are those accountable questions. Well, what did you do? Well, I didn't do anything. You know, it's, but trying to dive into what did you do, even if it's looking at them funny or whatever it is, um, to figure out what role did they play hmm. in the situation. And that's the, and that's the, that's the accountable question right. that we need to ask ourselves and the accountable questions that we need to ask others. That's a great one. And I, I think, um, with individuals, sometimes if they get 360 feedback, you know, a common tool, and they get all this feedback about themselves from others, you know, the question that I would ask is about, okay, well, what of this can you own? And it sounds like you're saying that. Or what of all this, what is valid? What do you want to buy? You may not buy the whole package, but are there some things that you can own? Sometimes they still say, no, I can't own any of this, you know, which I guess goes back to the blame that you're saying. Well, because right in that same line of thinking, to blame is denial, right? First right. of all, we ignore it, then we deny it, and eventually we blame others. And, uh, and, that's, and that's all in that same, same line of thinking, that same logic. And here's, the, and here's the intellectual challenge. When we blame others, when we deny the feedback, when we don't believe it, when we excuse ourselves because we're blaming others, it makes logical sense when we begin to rationalize. It makes logical sense for us not to change because it's not our fault. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it's true. It is that. It is that primitive. You know, it's kind of the first line of defense. That you know is is being defensive and kind of not owning that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, so um, given with, with your work, I know uh, trying to come up with a, a few things, and we're trying to leave with our with our listeners. If there are like two or three things, given the list that you have here, I guess there's 13 of them, you said? 13 competencies. Um, 
if it had to do or it had to start, you know, with two or three things, and you know, kind of the, the kind of key takeaways, what would be um, what would be the key ones to start focusing on? Well, I think I think I'll just say two things, and, and I could talk for a long time on this, but I know our time is starting to wrap up. The first thing is the first competency we've mentioned it several times today, and that is that remarkable leaders are continual learners; they're intentional, conscious learners. And I think that for us to be more successful as leaders, leadership is a complex thing. It requires us to be continually looking to get better. I think that's the first thing. And then the second thing is what comes next is going to be different from everybody because all of us are are at a different place in our own leadership development. All of us have different strengths and different weaknesses. So my second piece of advice would be to, excuse me, to apply that learning approach to both our great strengths as well as our weaknesses because typically people say, well, I want to work on what I'm not good at, and that's important, but we should also continue to work on things that we're already excellent at. And so learn, choose to learn uh, and, and improve in both of those areas, and then maybe most importantly of all is you've got to take action. You can't just, you can't just mm-hmm. listen to this great show every week, and you can't just read a good book, and you can't just do all those things. You have to go out and do it. Okay. Um, that's great. That's good, good advice. And as, as you're looking at this, um, at your list of competencies, is there, are there a couple of ways that you've seen any patterns where people fall down? You know, are there a couple things that you just see these are the ones that people do less of for whatever reason that is? Well, I think, I think one of those things is, um, is that people don't, um, take the time to focus on their strengths. They deny their strengths. Okay. They don't recognize them. And they say, well, I need to get better at this other stuff. I need to get better at this. I need to get better at this. When quite honestly, it's those things that we're already best at are the things that define us as, as effective leaders already. Okay. Well, that's great because I think that's been the, the focus of this. Um, you know, there are some assessments that people can get at, at www.leadersplaybook.com where you can assess yourself, but I think, you know, you and I have, are very aligned in that, is that, you know, people need to focus on their strengths and how do they get that to do do more of that. If you have anybody on your team, get them to do the things that either you don't like or you're not as good at, um, and that's really where a team has complementary skills. Absolutely, I would agree. So before we end here, Kevin, any, any uh, kind of uh, things that you're excited about that you're working on and maybe bringing this remarkable leadership to others that you want to say before we we close? Sure. A couple things real quick. Again, people can learn more about the book at RemarkableLeadershipBook.com. And beyond the book, we have an ongoing leadership development uh, learning process that focuses on one skill at a time, one month at a time. And people can learn more about that at Remarkable-Leadership.com. That's Remarkable-Leadership.com. That's great. Well, that's been Kevin Eikenberry. Thank you very much, Kevin, for being on the show. And I want to say to uh, the listeners, for today's show, there is a leadership tool called the Leadership Two-Step. When do you step in? When do you step out? Um, That will help kind of refine the vision part of leadership, but also help identify the accountability of when you need to step in and hold the accountability. Kevin, thank you very much. All right. It's my pleasure. And this has been uh, Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Next week we'll be talking about teamwork and collaboration. Thank you very much.
hope you've enjoyed this episode of Leaders Playbook with Dr. Relly Madler. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Rel, or if you would like to email him directly, visit his website at www.truenorthleadership.com. And be sure to join us next Monday for another episode of Leaders Playbook. We'll see you then.